0: the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Have you ever had the experience of someone else articulating an emotional situation in a way that you not only feel seen and heard, but you better understand yourself? For me, that's what it was like to read through Janine Quo's illustrated book, Welcome to the Grief Club. Five years ago, when they were in their late 20s, Janine's partner died. This was her first experience with a significant loss, and she was also the first in her friend group to be thrown into such intense grief. It was confusing, it was lonely, and it was isolating. Her book, Welcome to the Grief Club, is a mix of illustrations, text, and creative diagrams that explore the wide array of losses and reactions to those losses. Janine manages to touch on almost every element of grief that I've heard about in the last 20 years of this work. In our conversation, Janine and I talk about some of those elements, like the overpowering emotions, but also feeling really numb, the fear of someone else dying, and suddenly feeling totally enraged at the Target self-checkout, and how, despite thinking it was never going to happen again, joy and love continue to be a part of her life. In addition to authoring Welcome to the Grief Club, Janine Kuo is the owner and designer of Quotations, a stationary company and design studio. Her cards and gifts work to reflect a diversity of identities and life experiences, just as her book does with grief. Janine, thank you so much for being on Grief Out Loud today. I am really, really looking forward to our conversation and to talking about your new book, Welcome to the Grief Club. Thanks, Jenna. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking. You know, well, I already shared with you as we were getting ready to record, like, how happy I am that this book is going to be in the world for a lot of reasons. I think it captures the variety of grief experiences for people. It gives so much permission for people to have whatever type of reaction they're having whenever they're having it for as long as they're having it. So it just like warms my heart to know that this book is going to be available. And the piece I really appreciate is the, you know, it's not written for people who are young adults, but it seems really applicable to people who are kind of in that 20s early 30s age range and you know I know you were just 28 when your partner died it was the first significant loss you had experienced and you were the first one in your peer group to have a significant loss and I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about what it was like you know to kind of be the only one going through that at that time in your life
1: Sure yeah so I lost my partner in 2016 um, very suddenly when we were both 28. He was the first person I loved who died. I was one of a few people I knew my age who had had any significant loss and the only person I knew who had lost a partner. It was honestly just so lonely and confusing. I had a really strong network of friends and I'm really close with my sister, but I, I think they were just as much of a loss at a loss for what to do as I was. You know, if you had asked me before he died what I thought, grief would be like. I probably would have said, you know, I think it's it's really hard and it's really sad and there are stages of grief that you have to go through. But the reality of it is so much more complicated than that. And I was surprised by not just the intensity of feelings that I had, but the volatility and breadth of them. Losing a partner at that age, I felt was especially isolating. I really struggled with feeling like my grief was valid. You know, we had been together for two and a half years. I loved him. We weren't engaged or married. We didn't have kids or sort of any of those external measures people use to gauge the significance of your relationship and therefore the size of your loss. So that's actually something that I struggled a lot with. My therapist told me to join a grief group, but I felt like... I didn't belong to any of them. You know, the closest thing would be to join a grief group for widows, but I felt like my experience was so different. Most of them were older, they were married, um, a lot of them had children, and they were together with their partners for much longer. It made me question if my loss was as significant as it felt. And so, you know, I, I write about that in the book because it's something that I had a hard time I had a hard time with like feeling like my loss was significant and my grief was valid. It sounds like a lot of that was an internal
0: experience, right? Of I, you know, we didn't have these external validations of our relationship. So internally, do I, do I get access to the same, maybe like resources and care and comfort that other people might get if they were married or had children or owned, you know? a house or a TV together or something like that. And I were there external indicators of that from other people that you were picking up on
1: as well? Yeah, I think generally we're just not good at recognizing the space and time that grief needs. And I think we are not good at talking about it, so we don't. I think a lot of times we are afraid of saying the wrong thing, or making it worse. And so people just don't say anything at all. And even if that comes with the best of intentions, like I just wanna give them space, for me, it felt both more isolating and also sort of a signal that maybe because no one is asking me about it, it means that it should be something that I should be getting over by now. I felt that a lot sort of going back to work. You know, bereavement leave is, I don't know, like three to five days, and generally limited to people who are like a significant family member. That for me is was sort of another signal of, okay, maybe this is how long the worst part of grief should take, which is of course like it's nothing, right? It's nothing in, in the time of it. But sort of all of those societal signals made me question if my grief was taking too long or if I was taking it too hard um, and it took me a while to realize that grief is just, it's a long kind of like a lifelong process and it's going to take as long as it takes. Isn't it astounding to think that on any
0: level grief would be wrapped up in three days? Yeah. It's- Who knows even what you're feeling after three days in that moment? And I like to ask people like, you know, what did you feel like you needed in your grief? But oftentimes we don't know what we need in our grief in the moment. We only know what we needed by looking back on it reflectively. And I wonder, you know, about five years out now, looking back, do you have a sense of tangible things that you were really needing from your community and even from yourself in those first days and weeks and months after your partner's
1: death? like one thing I really craved was just acknowledgement, like acknowledgement of what I was going through and the recognition that he had died. People give you a wide berth. I felt a little bit walking through the hallways like whether I imagined it or not that people were you know like kind of like going out of their way to avoid me or just talking to me as if like nothing had happened. And I remember feeling like it feels like I'm on fire, like actively on fire, and people were just looking at me and not acknowledging that fact. I remember just wanting people to say, I'm sorry that he died, and I'm sorry that you are still grieving. And you know, pe- some people did say that, and it was so important to me. I need a lot more help than I again like expected with just like routine, tangible tasks. Again, like my friends were great, they did everything from pick out my outfit for the funeral to messaging people back from my phone and they packed my lunch for work every day. So just those things that I, you know, before would never think about doing or like never really consider that I would need help doing, I all of a sudden just didn't have the energy or just the will to do them. And so, you know, when people ask me like, what can I do to support someone who's grieving? I often say like tangible gestures of help are great you know, like drop off groceries or send them a gift certificate or walk their dog. I think those things just help more than you know. Oh, one
0: thing in your book that I I, well, I love so much about your book, but as I was reading through it, you talk about rage. And I think that's, you know, we talk a little bit about like anger and grief, but not very many people talk about just like pure rage that can happen. And there's one part where you talk about uh, rage at the self-checkout machine And I wondered if that came from a personal experience or if you were just imagining that somebody might just get real livid at the self-checkout machine
1: needing something from you. Uh, That was definitely from personal (laughs) experience. So I have a bit in the book about how you can just be so angry at the self-checkout machine and you have to wait for the person to come and help you. And all you want is like to buy the stick of deodorant because you smell, because you haven't showered, because your person died. <laughs> you know, And that's, um, that's how it felt. And when I, you know, before I was saying I was really surprised by just the breadth of emotions and grief, like rage was something that I, I was not expecting. And I think we don't often talk about and, you know, I'm not an angry person but i just felt so angry at everything myself i was angry at him for dying i was angry at people who were happy in relationships people who were unhappy in their relationships like the stranger on the bus who was smiling It was just like everything felt really wrong and i felt really like a bit out of control in terms of what I was feeling. Like I just couldn't anticipate what I was going to feel next and I couldn't control it. What has happened to that rage over time? Well, I I think I've gotten less (laughs) ragey over time. (laughs) My grief and sort of all its forms has, you know, it hasn't gone away, but it has softened, I would say. And so it's not so much at the forefront of everything that I feel talking about it has really helped. Just acknowledging the fact that I was angry and why I would be angry, just letting myself sit in the feelings has been helpful because I think at the beginning, I was feeling the feelings, but also feeling like I shouldn't be feeling any of these feelings, which obviously is not helpful. It's exhausting, right? You're like, I'm having the feeling
0: and now I'm fighting against the feeling. When it would be just less energy to just have the feeling, but it's, it is, it's a lift to get to that place of like, oh, rage is a part of grief and it's okay to have this feeling that's a part of grief because it's okay to have grief. Like you had a lot of layers to work through to give yourself that permission uh, to even just have the grief, Never mind all the unexpected feelings that came with it. You talked a little bit about what was surprising about grief, and I wondered if if there's more around that of, like, over time, things that continue to be unexpected.
1: Yeah, I think at first I was really – I was surprised that there wasn't more of a roadmap for grief. You know, I remember thinking, like, so many people have lost people they've loved. So many people have grieved. Like, how have we not come up – with like a plan for this or like a way that (laughs) right a how-to guide I remember really pressing my therapist on this and being like you know I know everyone's grief is different but just give me just give me like a ballpark how this is gonna go and how long this is going to take like it just need like a general sense and obviously grief is really different for everyone and everyone's grief changes over time but again it took me a while to accept that fact um, because I think it's easier to feel like you have some control over it and I've been surprised by how my grief has changed over time then sort of acute intense period of grief lasted longer than than I expected but again over the years it has changed it's you know it's still very much there but it's not it's not at the forefront of everything in a way that I couldn't have imagined when it first happened. I remember people who had lost loved ones telling me that it would change. And I just remember thinking, like, I just don't see it. I just don't see how I could possibly feel better. But it has, you know, like at the beginning, I feel like everything reminded me of him. And when I thought about him, it made me so sad, right? Like it would be a nice day and I would think, Oh, he would be happy it's a nice day outside and it would make me sad or I would go to a place we had gone to together and I would think the last time we were here we were together and it would make me sad or you know I'd be like in the cheese aisle and I'd be like he loves cheese and it would make me sad and now you know sometimes when I go to places we've gone to together it makes me sad but also I'm happy for the memories that we were able to make together and sometimes I go to a place and I leave and it's not until I leave that I think, Oh, I didn't even remember that we had gone to this place together. So I think in that way it has changed and it's still changing. Like it's how I feel about it is different day to day. I appreciate it in your book, how you give a few
0: like analogies and metaphors and, and concepts around the way grief changes and that it, it changes in a way that I think is different than what we might expect when we're kind of new to the idea of grief and, you use this idea of like a, a planter, when your grief arrives, you get this plant, like, thank you. And then the plant never really changes or goes away. But you add more things to the plant life experiences and capacity for engagement and things like that. And then towards the end of your book, you talk about the, the grief monster and kind of how, how you make a different relationship with the grief monster. And I do you have a sense of like, where those ideas have, how those ideas have come to you and like, yeah, just say a little bit more. I don't want to give away the whole book, but I really
1: appreciated those two analogies. Yeah, so a lot of the ideas in the book are so like drawn from my own experience of loss and talking to other people who've shared their stories of loss with me and, of course, builds upon like a lot of the resources and books on grief that are out there. I think people use like a similar analogy of grief feels like a boulder and then it feels like a slightly smaller stone and then um, like a pebble that you carry around with you which resonates but I kind of like the idea of it not being something that gets smaller but something that you keep adding to right so your life it's still there but your life gets fuller and that feels really true to my experience and also hopeful I think for me and hopefully for others. I've
0: really been appreciating that idea because I think it's so much effort and expectation and pressure to try to make grief smaller or more uh, pliable in some way or make it easier to hold or carry versus like, how do I build my life out around this grief so that it it feels easier to carry, not because it's gotten smaller, but because I've gotten, quote unquote, like stronger or have more uh, options to hold it up. And speaking of like expanding life, um, you have this idea, you talk about like our hearts being clown cars and that there's space for lots of clowns, I guess, or other people or experiences to be in them. And I wonder what it's been like for you over the last five years to find yourself investing in other relationships.
1: Yeah, that's also been a piece that's that's been surprising to me. You know, right after he died, it felt like, well, this is it. Like I'm never... I'm never going to love again. My heart is broken and I just don't have the capacity to love someone new. And it's too painful. Like if someone else dies, I, I couldn't bear it. So I just shouldn't love. What I found is that I, you know, I have loved again um, and like love new people. And actually, I think I love more fiercely and more willingly than I did before because I, I'm so keenly aware that we can't take for granted the time that we have. I have a really wonderful partner and friends and I have a lot of love and joy in my life that now lives alongside my grief. And I think that's just the way it's always going to be. Like they all just somehow smush together in my heart.
0: It's a question that comes up a lot in our groups, specifically with with young adults, but sometimes with with folks who are a bit older, too, of that idea of when you first start dating again, or thinking about dating again, it's like, when and how do I tell this person that I have this, this loss, this ache in my heart? Like, do I start that at the first date? Do I wait till we go on a third date? Like, I wonder if you could share a little bit about what that was like for you.
1: Uh, yeah, that's definitely a question that I Googled <laughs> to try to find the right answer. And I like to just say it up front. If it's something that they are uncomfortable with or don't want to deal with or help you manage, I think it's good to know that up front. And some people just don't have that capacity or the willingness to do that. And then some people are really understanding and, and loving and are, and understand that You can grieve and love someone and also love someone new, which I think is so critical in a a new relationship after grief. You know, the other thing I'd say about dating is to just do it when you're ready. I feel like a lot of people tell you to date, at least in my experience, people tell you to date very quickly um, because I think they just want you to be okay. They just like want to know that you're moving forward. But I would say if you're not ready, it's okay to not date and if you are ready quickly like it's also okay to date like there's no I think everyone has their expectations of when you should be ready to move on but really the only person who can make that decision is you
0: and sometimes you don't know if you're ready or not till you go on that date and then you're like oh yeah definitely not ready yet and it's, I feel like it's sometimes
1: it's hard to figure that out just in your own mind of if you're ready or not that's definitely true I, I've I don't, <laughs> I went on some dates and I was like, "Ooh, I'm I am not ready. I should not. I should not be dating right now." <laughs> Sometimes the only way to know is to try. So
0: it makes me wonder if your your company quotations has a because you do have so many amazing uh greeting cards that really speak to like the the realness of human experience and I wonder if you have a like an apology card for like thanks for the date sorry I'm found out I'm not ready to date yeah kind of card (laughs) might need one of those
1: I think I have to add that one yeah I have a sorry (laughs) I was awkward card but I think this one needs to be a little bit more more specific than that like sorry (laughs) I talked about death and grief on our first date
0: thanks for helping me realize I'm not ready to date yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) So another thing I think that comes up in grief, similar to the rage, which can be so surprising for people, is anxiety and worry and that like hyper vigilance that can come uh, after someone dies. And I wonder how have you managed that? Like, all right, what's the next bad thing that's going to happen? Kind of sensation that exists in our minds, but also really in our bodies. And you know how? Yeah, how have you managed that?
1: Yeah, that's something that I I really struggle with um, even now. This fear that something bad is going to happen to someone i love and i feel like i'm on high alert all the time like just waiting for right like the next bad thing to happen or the next shoe to drop Um, and i find myself doing things like i get really panicky if i text someone and they don't text me back or if i get a missed call i'm immediately like oh no like what happened um and i do this thing where i go if they don't text me back i'll go online and like see if they've posted something or see if their chat is green you know I I also my partner's like please stop doing this but I, I like check to make sure he's alive in the middle of the night often anyways all that to say if you also struggle with this you're definitely not not alone I don't know if I have a good advice on how to manage it. it is something that I'm still figuring out I think what I try to keep in mind is Like as scary as it is, we just can't protect everyone we love from every bad thing that's coming, even if we run ourselves into the ground doing so, like even if we make it our full-time job and like rub them in bubble wrap, like we just cannot prevent bad things or predict what they're going to be. And so, you know, like I can't control how much time I have with the people I love. What I can control is how I spend that time we have together. So I try to focus on, on that piece and try to prioritize my relationships and be present for the people I love. But you know, I'm a I'm a work in
0: progress. I'm right there with you as you were saying all the things you do. I'm like, oh, that's a good new. I'm gonna add that one to my list. I didn't think about checking to see if their uh chat box is green. Yeah, <laughs> make sure that they're alive out there. <laughs> I have one last aspect of grief that sometimes can be unexpected for people. And that is the not feeling anything or feeling really numb after someone dies or throughout the course of grief. And what was your relationship to that experience of feeling, not feeling?
1: I definitely felt really numb for parts of it. Felt like I was like an alien wearing my own, (laughs) like wearing my own skin, like going through the motions of being me, doing my best to trick everyone into thinking that i was really there i think it just speaks to like how disconnected i felt from myself i think it's just like another survival mechanism that we use because it can just be too much to feel all the things and sometimes i think we just our body just kind of shuts down and they're like you you need to take a break i think in the book i describe it as like a circuit breaker it's just like we're just going to turn it off for a little bit um just give you like a moment of relief even though The feeling of being so numb can be really discombobulating because you feel so disconnected from yourself and from your life. But it's definitely in that jumble of emotions that I had. Yeah, and I hear
0: people talk about like maybe initially feeling sort of numb to the extent of the pain of someone dying or another type of loss experience. And then it also becomes, I also feel numb to the good things that are in my life or the joy that's in my life. And I appreciate that in welcome to the grief club. I, you, you add in a lot about what is it to then have joy again, or to make space for that. And you've talked you know a bit about investing in other relationships and, and kind of those analogies around grief. But I wonder if there's other examples of joy coming back
1: online in your life I think that's really true like you kind of can't selectively numb yourself right so you become numb to the pain but also the things that used to bring you joy no longer do at least that's how that's how I felt and that I think that's part of what felt really disconcerting about it I felt like I wasn't me but I think that over time there are just like moments of joy that happen you know like I went on a trip with a friend a few months afterwards to Peru. She was working there and I was like, I'm just going to come. We went on this really amazing like ride through the sand dunes. And I just remember feeling like it felt like the first time in month that I had felt something, like just something stirred inside me. And it was so important just to have that first moment of like amazement and joy and excitement because it, I think I had this fear that it would never come back. You know, grief isn't linear. So There's a lot of ups and downs, but I think those moments of joy and excitement of coming back to yourself, for me, they just happened more with like more and more frequency over time. You know, you were talking earlier of when your partner first died.
0: You know, going to your therapist and being like, yeah, I get it. Grief's different for everybody. But like, come on, like, where is at least some sort of map for me to follow or some sort of like expectation for what things are going to be like? And brings me back to that idea that we can never tell somebody how grief is going to change over time. We can just assure them that grief will change over time. Or our relationship to grief will change over time, I guess, if we're going back to that idea that maybe the grief just comes with us in the same size, but we change around it. And so our relationship to it will change. That seems to be like the only solid assurance we can give people. It's like, it really will change. We just don't know what it's going to look like for you. mm mm-hmm.
1: You know, I call the book Welcome to the Grief Club. And the Grief Club is really anyone who has had a loss. Because for me, it's the people who had lost someone they loved and said that to me, that was, like, where I found the most comfort. I felt like other people who said, like, it'll be okay, like, it'll get better, I found myself thinking, like, you don't know, right? (laughs) Like, it doesn't feel that way, you just want to make me feel better. It hit differently when someone who had been through it said, this is so hard, like, of course you're still grieving, but I promise you, like, it will change, like, it will get better, I felt like their words were such a lifeline for me, because they had been through it. And so I wanted the book to sort of be a voice like that for someone else. Which it absolutely
0: feels that way as you read through it. And I appreciate that, you know, there's a, a flow to the book, but it's not the book itself doesn't feel very linear. Like, I feel like I could pick your book up and turn to any page, and then flip 20 pages in, into the towards the end or 20 pages back. And it would feel just as quote unquote linear in that way of like, Oh yeah, that's an aspect of grief or that's an aspect of grief um, without it having to follow any sort of like playbook for it. And, you know, you mentioned like really wanting to help people feel some connection and and less isolation uh, with having your book. Are there other like hopes and dreams that you have for it now that it is
1: officially out in the world? Yeah. I hope that anyone who's grieving, no matter who they lost or what their grief looks like can see a bit of themselves in the book. You know, the illustrations are intentionally, like, simple, accessible, and inclusive. You know, illustrations have people of a lot of different races and ethnicities, genders, abilities, and ages. You know, grief is such a universal experience. I really wanted the book to reflect that.
0: So for our listeners now who are like, get me a copy of this book (laughs) and help me connect more with Janine and her work Tell us a bit about like where folks can find the book, but also about your, um, your company quotations. So welcome
1: to the grief club is out February 1st, wherever books are sold. I always encourage people to shop at their local independent bookstores if they can. And bookshop.org is great for that, but it's also on Amazon and Barnes and Noble for more about me and my greeting card company, Quotations. People can go to quotations.com, spelled K-W-O-H like my last name. And Quotations is my line of greeting cards and gifts that celebrate a diversity of identities and life experiences. So I try to make art for and about the people and moments in life that um, aren't always fully represented in the card aisle. So I make cards about Chosen Families and Mental Health and Everyday Achievements um, and Sympathy Cards.
0: When I first heard about your work and your book, Janine, and I went to your website, of course, and immediately bought like 10 cards, one tea towel in the small set of zines, which you can see behind me <laughs> on, on the bookcase because, yeah, the your greeting card line is it. It saves me so much time because that's all stuff I'd want to write on the inside of the card, but you say it all on the front of the card. So I just really appreciate it. And listeners, as always, I'll put links to uh, all the The sites that Janine just mentioned. Um, So you can find the book and check out the greeting cards and all the other offerings that she has available. So Janine, thank you so much for writing this book for being willing to put your grief experience out into the world so that other folks can connect with it and feel a lot less alone and appreciative of your time
1: today. Thank you so much. And thank you for creating the space for us to have conversations like this. I think it's so important that we continue to talk about grief. And
0: listeners out there, I thank you each and every time for being part of this community because otherwise Jeannie and I would just be talking to ourselves, which is fine, but we really appreciate that you're out there listening. And if you are someone who's tuning in from outside of the United States, I'd really love to hear from you. I'm trying to just get a sense of like who's out there, who's listening, how is the show uh, landing, in other, other places. So you can reach me at griefoutloud.com at dougie.org that's d-o-u-g-y dot o-r-g that's also our website where you can find all of our past episodes of grief out loud as well as our downloadable activity sheets tip sheets other resources and information about our local programming so thanks again for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time